0: Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert
1: and complete dork studying tagler and mythic rights, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and demon on my mother's side, Noella <laughs> Croix. And we're here today to talk about Family, the sixth episode of season five. Family aired on November 7th, 2000 and was written and directed by Joss Whedon. Still Pretty has always been and will remain a fully spoiled Buffy podcast because the best plot twists are the ones you already know about. (laughs) You have evil inside of you and it will come out and letting yourself work all this magic is only going to make it worse. All right, let's go on patrol. In family, Tara worries about being useful to the gang, but Willow says she's not useful. She's essential. She's essential. At Buffy's house, Buffy tells Giles about Dawn and says she has to protect her. They decide not to tell Dawn, or anyone, that she's a mystical key. Everyone helps to move Buffy out of her swank corner suite in the dorms, which, including vampires, demons, forces of darkness, and Angel's gravity-defying hairdo, remains the least believable thing in all of Buffy. (laughs) As they're moving her, Tara makes a joke from deep within her expertise and no one gets it, and she feels awkward. Willow sends her away, then reminds everyone that it's Tara's birthday party the next night, which they totally didn't forget. You have to bring presents, right? Birth is a present thing. At the hospital, intern
0: Ben goes into the locker room to change at the end of his shift, and just as he's getting all naked and vulnerable, a gross demon with bloody sores all over its face and a forked tongue heads toward Ben. But then, Glory steps in and grabs him. I need a favor. At the magic box, Buffy and Xander talk about Tara. They don't understand her, but she's super nice. While they try to figure out what to get for her birthday, a guy comes into the shop and starts asking questions and mocking the spells. Then Tara and Willow walk in, and it's
1: clear this guy just got what he came for. What's the matter? You don't have a hug for your big brother? It's Tara's brother, Donnie, and he's there for her birthday. Tara's dad comes in, along with her cousin, Beth. Tara introduces them to everyone, and is clearly uncomfortable. Her dad tells her he'll pick her up for dinner that night and leaves. At home, Buffy refuses to let Dawn go to her friend's house for dinner, and Riley questions her overprotectiveness. He can tell she's keeping something from him, but she won't tell him, and he goes off in a huff to Willie's to drink copiously and flirt with a vampire. Tara returns to her dorm to find her father there waiting for her. He tells her that he's taking her home. Before she turns 20, and starts to think critically, just like her mother did. I mean, before she turns 20 and becomes evil, just like her mother did. Tomato, tomato. It, it doesn't feel evil. Evil never does. At Glory's
0: place, she tries to get the Layok demon to give her information. Blonde, short, strong for a human, and massively rude broke my shoe took my monk do you have any idea what i'm talking about he tells her it's a vampire slayer and glory commands him to gather his friends and kill her the demon agrees willow goes to tara's and asks her to come along for research night at the magic box that sounds like a euphemism but it's not tara says she's tired and when willow leaves she goes into her books later at the magic box while everyone's gathered tara sneaks in and puts a spell on them to prevent them from seeing her demon side at Spike's, Harmony returns from a shoplifting spree and tells Spike that there's a demon out there recruiting a group of demons to kill
1: Buffy. If the is gonna die, I'm gonna watch. Tara bumps into her cousin Beth at the campus who figures out what she's done and wants to tell. Tara asks her not to, saying what she did was harmless, but back at the magic box, the demons show up to kill Buffy and no one can see them. You've been lying to these people for a year and now you've put a spell on them, is that right? Is that a human thing to do? The demons attack, but since Buffy and the gang can't see them, they're hard to fight. Spike comes into the training room to watch the layoff demons take Buffy out, but then he can't stop himself. He jumps into the fight and saves her. Buffy can't see him either, so she runs into the shop. You're welcome. In the shop, everyone is fighting invisible demons when Tara
0: comes in and reverses the spell. Buffy kills the last Layok demon, and then Tara's family comes in and spins their story of evil women turning demon and no longer wanting to cook the men's meals and wash the men's underwear. Tara's dad says he wants to take her away, but Tara doesn't want to go. You want her, Mr. McClay? You can go ahead and take her. You just gotta go through me. You don't want to mess with us. She's a hair puller. Anya asks what kind of demon it is, and Tara's dad can't answer. Then Spike figures it out. He hits Tara in the face and activates his chip, proving she's human. It's just a family legend, am I right? Just a bit of spin to keep the ladies in line. (laughs) You're a piece of work. I like you.
1: Later, at the bronze, Tara has her birthday party and fits in with the group nicely. As she and Willow dance to a slow song, they float above the dance floor, smiling. All right, Noel. so here we are at
0: family, and I'm just curious, what'd you think? Do you like it? It's the episode I totally forgot, so... <laughs> <laughs> it is an episode that totally gets forgotten, but it, it's kind of a powerful episode. It's, it's one of those surprises, you know, as you go through the season and you're reminded about what's going on in this episode. It's kind of like, wow, that was more powerful
1: than I remember it. There are bits of it that I really, really like, and there are mm-hmm. bits of it that I just kind of go...
0: Eh, whatever. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's because I think probably because it's Whedon, it's really big with the themes and like we're doing themes and everything right. is very connected and part of me is like, yeah, that's great. And part of me is like, Whatever.
0: Like I'm not except it's not as connected as typical whedon stuff is. We have a lot of things in here that are basically keeping the season long story afloat, like the Riley bullshit. Um, you know, the Spike <laughs> being in love with Buffy stuff. Um, you know, the the let's not tell Dawn that she's a mystical key thing, Joyce's affliction, right? So all yeah. of these things are like kind of kept up in the air in various scenes throughout this this episode everything else kind of works on the theme although I think really it's just Tara's I I mean the fact that it's Tara's birthday doesn't really work on this this patriarchal theme that they got going on you know with with Tara's family Um, the way that everybody like can't figure Tara out doesn't really necessarily speak to that Um, the only thing that this episode I think has is just that it's so deep in Tara's POV I mean it's basically like Tara's Zeppo
1: A little bit. But there's also this theme of secrets and Mm -hmm. what you share with people and what you share. Like, I don't know. So I think it's interesting that it opens with Willow saying that if there were anything for them to know about the fight or about the she doesn't know that there's been a fight. This is right after Mm -hmm. um, the events of the previous episode. Willow says if there were if Buffy had found something at the factory, she would tell them Mm -hmm. cut to Buffy telling Giles about Dawn, and them deciding not to tell anyone. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's this like, oh, if there's something to know, if there's something to know, this person who is important to me will tell me, which, of course, then we get again at the end when Willow says to Tara, I can't believe you didn't tell me about your family, which. Right. First of all, I. Bounce pretty hard off this idea of I can't believe you didn't tell me XYZ just in fiction, in life. I don't Mm -hmm. know. There's just something about that that seems, I want to say entitled, but that's not quite it. You know, the idea that if you are with someone that you tell each other every single thing and it's like, well, not necessarily. People Mm -hmm. are really complicated and there's... Mm -hmm stuff that maybe you know (laughs) maybe you don't want to come right out and say hey um i'm from some sort of abusive demon family i'm not even sure like i'm not sure what to make of tara's family but we'll get there um but just the idea that that keeping secrets is good but also bad but also Mm -hmm. we're all just sort of trusting each other in this in this core cast group Mm -hmm. but people are not coming forward with kind of crucial information I mean to the point that when Giles mentions Buffy's father in that first scene with the two of them together Mm -hmm. and Buffy reveals that he's in Spain with his secretary the way she says it it's clear in the performance that Buffy has known this for a while and mm-hmm. hasn't told anyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We are three and a half minutes into the episode <laughs> at this point, And we've already hit on this, like, not just the importance of family and, like, what is the family unit. Mm-hmm. In the first few minutes of the episode, we've dismissed the idea that Hank Summers is going to be part of the story from mm-hmm. here on out, even though he is Buffy's family. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've already hit upon this idea that, you know, Willow's belief that if something is important, well, Buffy would Buffy would tell us. Mm -hmm. And we learn that she assumes the same about Tara, that if something is important, well, Tara is going to tell her. But not necessarily, you know, that's not necessarily the case. We've Mm -hmm. got secrets and Family secrets and family dynamics. I'm mean, like three minutes into the episode. So, <laughs> and then we hit upon this idea, right, that it's safer for everyone if they don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, is it? Like, is it really safer for everyone if they don't know? And isn't that kind of the the logic behind the, the demon story within Tara's family? That it's, well, it's safer... For the women to keep them here where we can protect them right. ostensibly. from, We yes. can protect them from magic, which is going to enable them to see, what, their own power, their own mm-hmm. pleasure? What? Like, I'm so unclear.
0: <laughs> well, I think that it's just instilling this fear that they are evil, so they need to listen to the men and take care of the men because otherwise they will be evil. Um, Which, you know, I mean, as far as like, you know, feminine controlling narratives go is not that far off the mark from what we've already put in place like culturally. So I find that really interesting. But you know, I mean we have all these secrets and we have like the upset that Riley has that Buffy's not telling him everything. And I think you're you're right there but the secret thing almost feels more like a motif rather than a theme. Like we have a bunch of secrets that are happening but we're not really saying what that means. Like is it are we is it bad that that Buffy's keeping secret were secrets the the big part of Tara's story I, th- I don't think so I think terror story like the big thing in Terra story um was like the direct manipulative lies from this um this patriarchal institution that would like look to control her um so I think that that's that's what sort of confuses me about families that usually with Whedon, he is like dead on. Like he's got a theme and he is going to beat it into the ground. And here it feels like we actually are talking about two different things depending on which part of the story we're in. At least that's how it feels to me. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean maybe maybe it's more that we're we want to hit all of these story bits Mm -hmm. and pieces. Within
0: there's a lot of
1: spinning. Forty breaks. minutes and exactly. there's just like a lot going on.
0: Yes, I, I think that's what it is.
1: Which is maybe why it feels a little bit. I don't want to say disjointed to me, but it feels a little bit like there's good stuff here, but meh. Yeah, what's the know. good stuff? What's the stuff that you liked? Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> what's the stuff that I like? I love. Well, I love Amy Adams. Yes, I. Absolutely love Tara's cousin Beth. I love mm-hmm. everything about this character and the the quiet. Oh, it's the the quiet superiority. Yes, that she has mm-hmm. the way she holds this family dynamic over Tara, like mm-hmm. this, you know. What is it? She's she's so sweet and so kind. You know, oh, let me know if you need any help packing. And then right. Tara's like, I'm not leaving. And she's, she flips and says, yeah. you selfish bitch. And I'm just like,
0: damn, baby Amy
1: Adams. <laughs> harsh. But But at the same time, I feel like I know that person. Oh, yeah. That character... I oh, mean, that I person more so. Yeah, I know. First of all, I know Tara's family. Like, mm-hmm. I know these people. But also, I really know that that well, cousin Beth yeah.
0: character. And I think the best turn with cousin Beth was when all of this is revealed at the end, and then she gives Tara a nasty look and says, "Are you happy now?"
1: Yeah. Like instead
0: of being mad at the people she should be mad at. Who have been lying to her and making her think she's a demon and evil in order to keep her, you know, taking care of them and washing their freaking underwear, right? Um, <laughs> instead, she looks at Tara and says, Are you happy? Like she's still siding, she's siding with power rather than with right, you know, and yeah. not hesitating. There isn't a moment, you see the anger on her face, and for a moment, you think, maybe. But then she directs that anger at Tara. And, you know, it's for not for a moment did her loyalty waver, despite the fact that she's a victim of all this bullshit, too. Um, so I find her fascinating and unbelievably accurate. Um, yeah, like
1: frighteningly yeah. accurate.
0: Yeah, like the the handmaidens of the patriarchy are real you know those women are out there and they will will cut down other women first before they turn toward the power and actually fight it so um so i find that super interesting and and a really like almost sharply accurate like it kind of hurts a little bit like you feel it a little bit between your ribs you're like oh Yeah. (laughs) I feel that. I see that. Like that was that was like super accurate. Um, And I found that really interesting. I like that a lot, too. What else did you like from the episode?
1: Well, I like I mean, I like this motif of family. I like the way, you know, Buffy and Riley kind of play family Mm -hmm. when she gets home. You know, honey, Mm -hmm. I'm home. And he says, have a good day at work. And he's been moving her back into her mom's house. Um, And then Buffy... Keeping Dawn home for family night, which, you know, she just pulled out of nowhere. There is no family night (laughs) established in the summer's home. But Mm -hmm. she's grasping. She's Mm -hmm. like anything because she's so determined not to tell anyone about, you know, what's going on with Dawn that it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, I have to. I have to fabricate something to keep her here, which is exactly what Tara's family has done. Right. You Mm -hmm. know, we have to fabricate something to keep her here. Um, Right. And I mean, in some ways, it's a similar narrative, right? I have mm -hmm. to fabricate
0: these lies in order to keep her safe because it is my job to protect her. Now, in Buffy's circumstance, that's legit true because this, like, very powerful lady you know, would super kill Dawn, given the opportunity. <laughs> would, like,
1: yeah, like, extra kill her.
0: Right, um, right. Whereas, you know, with this whole patriarchal we-must-protect-the-women thing, um, you know, And that by protect,
1: is, we mean control. By protect, right?
0: we mean control. And, you know, and, th- th- like, the best way to control somebody is to undermine their sense of self, their own confidence in themselves. Um, you know, that is such a classic method you know, I mean, it is it is the classics. They are they're going up on stage. They are throwing a concert and they're playing all the big hits like that is a all, classic. The, hits. all well, the hits.
1: Yeah. And I mean, even Tara's father mm-hmm. is he has his moments of sounding sort of compelling. Like, yeah. you know, she's she is trying to stand up to him and says it doesn't feel evil. Right. And he says evil never does. Mm hmm. And that's such a great, like... Well, I mean, I mean, is, I mean
0: it, that's probably kind of true. You know, yeah. I think that most of the people doing evil, you know, I mean, most of them, some of them know exactly what they're doing and they can fuck off. But I think most people, like most people doing evil or doing bad things don't recognize it as that or have a number of justifications for it or whatever, you know? Um, I would love
1: to think that people do not get up in the morning and are like... Yes. Let me do some evil today. Well, yeah,
0: I don't think anybody does. I think that there are some people who are like, okay, I'm gonna get up in the morning and I'm gonna do what suits me. And if it hurts somebody, I don't care. So it is evil without them like necessarily caring. They don't care whether it's evil. They'll do whatever suits them. For mm-hmm. most people, I don't think I don't think that there are a lot of people, which is why these villains, you know, generally in storytelling always come off a little flat, like the I'm doing evil for evil's sake. I mean, just like the classic example is the guy. You know, who ties the girl to the railroad tracks from the classic silent, you know, era movies. <laughs> and, you know, like, why? Why would you, what would possibly do you have to gain from time? First of all, it's exhausting. She's fighting you the whole way. Second of all, you've got to go to the store. You've got to get the rope. You've got to get the stuff. Next, you got to go all the way out to the train tracks, which is always inconvenient, especially back then when your modes of travel were not quite as convenient as they are today. Nobody, you know, you didn't have a truck you put her in, you didn't have a windowless van back then, you know, you got to get out, you got to start this car. She's tied up in the back. I mean, it is a job of work, right? So like why? And then for what? So that the guy has time to come and save her before the train comes. Like if you're going to kill somebody, just shoot them in the head and go about your day, you know? Um, So what I'm saying is, is that like evil for evil's sake tends to be in our stories Simply protagonist-based. Like, we're just looking at it from the protagonist's point of view that here's somebody doing evil and I don't care why. Um, When you go through a villain's point of view and you see why they're doing bad things, that's when it gets really interesting. If you do that well, then you've got a story that that crunches, you know?
1: Especially if they're as delightful in their evil doing as glory is.
0: Oh, my
1: God. There's not enough glory in this episode. That's my other big your complaint. big problem is just not enough glory. She's glory so is good. so
0: cute. I mean, I... I love that moment, too. And then when she comes in, like, there's Ben getting undressed, right? And uh-huh. because this is a fully spoiled Buffy podcast, the Buffy or the Ben is glory. Glory is Ben thing, right? You know, um, mm-hmm. so we don't know that at this time. And then she just shows up and it looks like she's saving Ben. Um, but she's not cause she is Ben. So that's all weird. Um, but, but it's so fun. She just grabs this, this very, very (laughs) gross demon. Also the demon design on this, I have to say is totally gross. Very good, but totally gross. And as he's
1: Pennywise.
0: Yeah. As this, this actor is working with this incredibly, I don't even know practical effect of the forked tongue. Like how much extra tongue that dude had in his (laughs) mouth. It makes me want to gag. Just look, I'm like, like, I would never be able to do that. You know, Um, it's so it's really good, though. I love when she's like, you've the cutest little separating sores. Anybody ever tell you that? I'm like, okay, that's really cute.
1: Like, she's She's just cute. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. She is so wonderful. I love her closet. I love her whole setup. Mm -hmm. I love that she's got this demon strapped to a um, like a clothes like like he is a prop yeah in her backstage area which he kind of is
0: no he super is and then when she comes up to him she's like yeah I just want you to you know kill this slayer for me he's like sure You know, like I mean, this guy did not seem at all averse to any, did she have to kidnap him and tie him up? Maybe that was just for fun, you know? I
1: think it's, well, you know, it's just way more fun. Right. If you can, (laughs) it's just way more fun to tie up your demons. Way,
0: you know, yes, absolutely. Demons need to be tied up. But
1: her reaction to a slayer... Oh, God, please don't tell me I was fighting a vampire slayer. How unbelievably common. (laughs) I know. And then we get this thing where she says, if I had any friends,
0: you know, Uh which is a nice little kind of clue to her isolation her loneliness yeah. you know um which is interesting and i love
1: the whole broke my shoe stole my monk you know <laughs> do you know who i'm talking about you know who I'm she's talking about? so good <laughs> everything yeah every line mm-hmm. she's so wonderful and the the implication with the giant closet that it's like well Mm -hmm. If I have to have this weird human body that does all the gross human body stuff, (laughs) might as well have a closet full of clothes. And, you know, a nice little bit of foreshadowing there with, Mm -hmm. you know, we go from Ben getting undressed to Glory in her closet full of clothes. Mm -hmm. So we've linked them, you know, beyond just having them in the locker room. In the same space
0: at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's interesting. And when you go back, this is the thing, too. It's like you have this twist coming. Right. And when you watch it, knowing, you know, knowing what's coming and nothing that we were being shown is inconsistent with the reality, then, you know, they didn't lie. And as long as they didn't lie to me and setting up their twist, go ahead, have a great time. Just don't lie to your audience about it, you know. Um, So it's it's always kind of fun going through season five, knowing what we know um, to kind of see if there are any points at which they they lie and they just don't. They just don't. Um, so that was really good. Um, I also really enjoy Spike in this episode for as little as he shows up. Um, he's got <laughs> his little obsession with Buffy. We have his dream while he's, you know, sleeping with, uh, with Harmony. Uh, or actually his fantasy, well, he is fucking Harmony. Let me be more specific. Um, <laughs>
1: Let let's
0: let's not uh, mince words here, shall exactly, we? Exactly, exactly. It's all about specificity and communication. Um, so I love this. I love he's sitting there. He's staring at this mannequin head that represents Buffy for him. He's in this like deep in love, obsession place. Then Harmony comes back, tells him that somebody's going to kill Buffy. He <laughs> goes to watch. He goes there to watch because he wants to see her dead and then he cannot stop himself you know and the eye roll is priceless oh my god I know his disgust with himself I know it's so great I love that inner conflict with him especially because this is something that feels outside of his control like I don't think that he can do anything other than love Buffy that he can he, he can't sit there. He just physically can't do it. And so it's so fun the way that Heath rolls his eyes and he throws himself into the fight. And then he's like, You're welcome. But of course, she can't see him, but he doesn't know that. Then he comes running out, right? And he's watching over this whole thing, you know, um, evolving with. Tara and her family and then of course it's Anya who asks the right question what kind of demon is it right so good oh my god it's so good I love Anya Um, and then it's Spike who figures it out and when he goes and he punches Tara in the face (laughs) activates his chip she's human he figures it out and he says oh this is something you do a family legend to keep the women in line everything falls into place, you know, because of Spike. And that wasn't something that he did necessarily because he loves Buffy. He just did it because I think he wanted to prove, you know, he'd figured it out. He'd solved that puzzle. So the the evil that is Spike, and Spike is evil, and we'll try not to forget that. Doing good things... Because it's easy to forget when you start to adore Spike. Yeah. Um, yeah. He does good things not because he's good. And this is the problem with Spike, right? He saves Buffy not because he's doing something good for Buffy. He's doing it for himself because he loves her, right? Right. He's, he's, you know, illuminating this whole thing with Tara and her family, not because he feels for Tara and he wants to do the right thing and show these bad people. He just
1: figured it out and he's showing off, right? Yeah, you well, know. He loves to do this. We've yeah. seen Spike do some version of this in a group or by himself before where he sees what's going on immediately yeah. mm-hmm. and then does something to indicate that he sees. I mean, we've right. talked before about how Spike sees the truth about relationships and Spike mm-hmm. sees the truth about what's going on with everybody and what they're trying to hide. Yeah. Um I think because he's so invested in story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think he definitely is. Um, And it's,
0: It's just so much fun. This is my favorite. Like, I love the whole Spike run from school hard to chosen. I love everything (laughs) in between. I love everything with Spike. But this particular part of it, this, he's in love with Buffy. He's doing good despite himself. That he does good because, I mean, fighting demons is the only thing he can do. And he wants that violence. So he does that. Like, he's in this corner where he's forced to, like, not be himself. And yet through that, that being forced to be good and do good, it changes him so fundamentally. I love all of it. I love all of it. I love also that he has no choice in any of it. Like choice is the most important thing in telling stories. Choice is the most important thing in, um, in characters and in showing us who they are. Um, but there's something about Spike's lack of choice in so much of this that makes every choice he makes so much more powerful so much more interesting and i absolutely love what we do with the spike arc i think it's fantastic
1: i think what's great about him the choices that he does make is that he clearly thinks he's in control oh yeah in in the moment he oh, thinks yeah. he's in control he thinks he's just gonna go watch the slayer die mm-hmm. and, but it's like Spike, no, Aww. honey, if you bring the entire family-sized bag of potato right. chips into your lair, <laughs> you're going to eat the entire family-sized bag of potato chips. Like, That's they're designed go. for you to eat all of them. Right. Like, watching Buffy die is the, no, I will just have one Oreo of right. Spike's relationship to the things he loves. I mean, that was just the most muddled metaphor i could ever (laughs) hope i get
0: it though i get it it's the unrealistic expectation and also the lack of questioning like you go into it and you're like no absolutely this is what's going to happen that is not what's going to happen
1: this will completely work spike you are self-deluded
0: um yeah yeah. and speaking of self-deluded shall we talk a little bit about riley although actually that's not a very good segue into (laughs) riley He's not that self-deluded. I think he knows what he is, but he's, he's on a descent into darkness and we're starting this whole thing. I mean, this thing has been building up for a while, but now we see him, you know, being upset because Buffy's not telling him everything. He knows that there's something going on that she's not telling him.
1: Fair play to Riley. Mm You know, like he is, he's there and he's helping and he's like making himself available and he's doing the boyfriend thing Mm -hmm. and he's trying to be supportive. And, There's clearly shit going on and she's not telling. I'm just like, yeah, I've so I have so had it. See, this is now we're on the things that Noelle does not like about this episode. I have just had it with them not having a conversation like they make. He makes that snide little remark Mm -hmm. when, you know, Buffy says that Don makes her crazy. And and Riley makes this snide remark to suggest that he was thinking that she was the crazy one and I mm-hmm. crazy loaded problematic word. Yes. That I am going to use because we're using it in the show in a specific. Yes. Way. Maybe but that's with not the a great
0: That it's not a good word and we understand that, but it is what the show it is, the language that the show is using.
1: Especially within the context of this mm-hmm. character type of yeah. the crazy girl or the mm-hmm. crazy woman or the mm-hmm. crazy girlfriend. Right. The I'm dismissing what's going on with this person by using this word yes. um, to belittle them. Yes. So he makes, anyway, so Riley makes this unfortunate, this unfortunate remark, but there's still like no attempt by either of them to have a conversation and right. like i get it they're 20 that what you know but mm-hmm. i'm just tired of it i'm tired well, of the it's
0: an old it's not an old gong to hit yeah exactly like they hit it over and over and over again and the thing is in the same way that you build up a good strong relationship in fiction by showing how well people work together um, when you show people lying to each other that is how you also build up a shitty relationship you know and it's not even it's lying now but it's always been that Buffy has always kept things from Riley that they, and when opportunity comes for them to talk not even for her to like confess anything that she might have kept from him or lied to him about but just to talk and say I feel this thing when you do this, I feel this or something like that. Like, granted, yes, they're 20, but also they're not they're 20 in actual reality. But as far as the show goes, these are adults like Buffy has been coded adult since she was 16. Right. So so you still kind of have to, you know, even though Riley even more so exactly and reality is is no defense nor is it a condemnation for fiction the relationship between fiction and reality is you know is is tenuous at best right um, <laughs> fiction is a, a heightened sense of reality so like the facts of a fiction like that you know that Buffy was 16 when she started killing vampires does not at all take away from the fact that Buffy has been an adult since day one you know in the way that she, um, she runs her life in the way that she interacts with people like she technically lives with her mom but her mom is almost never there she's like she's an adult until we want to have a conflict vending machine come in in the, in the form of Joyce right right um but but they're coded this way the same way that like you know demons are coded human right they're they're human they're just an evil particular kind of human right um so so that's how we we code these demons so that we can account for their evil and then of course we go into this very complicated space where not all demons are actually evil and not all humans are good As we can see, (laughs) because we do this thing where like, you know, humans have a soul and that makes them good and demons don't have a soul and that makes them evil. Except that this shit with Tara's family, full on evil, like that kind of fucking with somebody's head so you control them. um, That is full on evil. And that is a particularly human brand
1: of evil. Um, Yeah, I'm going to take this thing that is. Unique and beautiful and special about you, aka you're really good at magic. Mm-hmm. In other words, <laughs> aka you're mm-hmm. gay. Um, mm-hmm. and make it you're a demon. Yeah, I mean, nice, nice extension of the homosexuality is a sin. Mm-hmm. You know, um, well, yeah, because line at of this thought point, that is- at this
0: point in our story, magic is somewhat a, a an analog for being gay for homosexual lifestyle.
1: For well, lesbianism specifically, I
0: would I would argue. I think you're right. No, I think you're right. And and magical lesbian like it is in itself
1: magical. (laughs) Magical (laughs) lesbianism is magical, but oh that's a different podcast that I will be doing at some point, maybe? I don't know lesbian (laughs) it's
0: magical anyway Uh, yeah yeah definitely (laughs) but um but yeah riley i think uh you know then he goes off to the bar and this is his descent (laughs) into darkness right we're gonna see this get worse and worse and worse as he goes but he goes to the bar he has a couple of shots he talks to this vampire and he says i don't flirt with with vampires but this is the vampire though that willow turned evil willow and doppelganger turned Um, during the the raid on the bronze. So this I find interesting that we use that character um, whose name is Sandy so and textually she was Sandy in Doppelgangland she's Sandy here um, and the same actress so I, I just find that it's a nice little call back to Doppelgangland which was also written by by Joss Whedon.
1: Give it up for Vamp Sandy. <laughs> Give it up for Vamp Sandy
0: and Riley's Darkness. Um, but this is one of the things too that I wanted to talk about a little bit with with Whedon because I'm kind of curious about the fact that he wrote this episode, right? Um, Joss Whedon, as a showrunner, typically writes the season premiere and the season finale, like the big episodes right Um, and then every now and again he'll write one in the midst of a season Um, in season two he did lie to me and he did Ted you know and those are you know Uh, interesting episodes not necessarily the kind of showstoppers that we expect from a Whedon written episode Um, but since then the the ones that he wrote that were not premieres or finales are Innocence which was huge Amends which I would I would say is a a lot bigger than I think than most people give it credit for and it it really is the season premiere of the Angel um, television show Um, Doppelgangland which was a big one Hush Mm -hmm. you know Who Are You which is the body swap with Faith Um, and then we have now family and then next we're going to see the body and once more with feeling and those are the only other two that he does uh, that are not premieres or finales. Um, So I find it really interesting that Joss Whedon, who can choose any episode that he wants to write, you know, any episode, anything, chose to write family. Um, It feels a little bit, it's it feels like it's not big enough. You know, it's not like a big enough episode to really warrant him wanting to do it. So I'm curious. I mean, I, I have no idea. Maybe he did it because whoever was supposed to write it was sick. And so he covered for them or like something <laughs> or they couldn't write it. And he just took over. Um, I have absolutely no idea. But I find it really interesting, especially because the um, the typical kind of cohesiveness that you see from Whedon doesn't feel that present here. But the Terra side of the story The Tara and her family and this unbelievably accurate cousin Beth character. um, All of these things feel like a a very sharp Whedon observation about men and patriarchy. We even have Giles using the word patriarchal when he's describing his role during Buffy's move out, which doesn't feel like an accident to me. No.
1: Well, because that partly because that scene of them moving her out of her dorm is very much establishing this group as a family, even mm-hmm. giving them the, you know, like, I do not buy for one second that Riley and Xander would come to blows over <laughs> name calling. But that is so the, like, the brothers yes, kind of a relationship that is mm-hmm. so a brother thing to do. You know, he started it. He called me a name. No oh, boys,
0: um, right? Boys will be and boys. And it gives
1: Giles. <laughs> and it gives Giles something to what yeah. is it to glower out? Right.
0: Glower and scold something like yes. that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, you got to like keep those keep the the rowdy brothers in line. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's almost. It does feel much more subtle, though, mm-hmm. than one might expect. From a Whedon penned episode. Yeah, Whedon usually
0: um, has all, it almost feels like Whedon wrote the main story, you know, the the family story, like, and then everything else was like bits and pieces just sort of put in to like uh, wrap around it. I don't know, it feels like a very weird episode for a Whedon episode. Um, but one of the things that I actually really kind of enjoyed about this though is that it is essentially Tara Zeppo right? We are deep in Tara's POV, in the scenes in which Tara appears. You know, it's mm-hmm. not the whole episode the way that the Zeppo was, where we're just seeing everything from Xander's point of view. Uh, but we're so deep into Tara's POV, like, as much as she feels awkward, I doubt it was anywhere near that awkward from anybody else's. The whole insect reflection thing, I doubt <laughs> anybody else even <laughs> noticed or whatever, but she felt that so deeply. And we have this turn at the end with Buffy, where Buffy says, if you want Tara, go ahead and take her. Right. And so we have this moment where we feel like Buffy is saying, I can spare. I don't care. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, but then She turns and says, you're going to have to go through me. And that is such a big moment. And the only reason why I'm not calling foul on that moment, that like they're they're lying to us, they're trying, they're faking us out, they're trying to make us believe that Buffy would actually allow the father to take Tara. Um, Except that we're so deep in Tara's POV that we are experiencing this the way that Tara is. And Tara's fears, the second Buffy says, go ahead and take her. Tara's fears are being confirmed. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing this deeply through her POV. So for me, because of that, I think that it works. You know, it replicates Tara's read of the room, which isn't accurate, but it's her read. You know, that she doesn't matter, that she's not part of the group. You know, I want to be helpful to the group. And and Willow says, you're not helpful, you're essential or something like that. But she says you're essential, which Mm -hmm. is something that Tara does not believe about herself. You know,
1: right. So right.
0: um yeah, so I, I love that whole thing. I especially love that Dawn is the first to step up behind Buffy, you know? Uh because oh Dawn God. and Tara, that relationship is really sweet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The relationship between Dawn and Tara is probably one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. Um and like And it doesn't, to me, it doesn't feel like that moment with Buffy saying, go ahead and take her. And then, you know, you're going to have to come through me isn't, doesn't work as well for me as it does for you, I think. Mm -hmm. But when Dawn steps up, that's when I'm like, oh no, like just the, that's when the, the waterworks threatened (laughs) start because yeah, like Buffy is not, Buffy has not been at her best Mm -hmm. um in the last couple of episodes and here i mean even earlier on with like tara you know tara's birthday is like this oh crap we all kind of forgot and Mm -hmm. then buffy and xander in the fucking magic box i don't know what to get her for her birthday (laughs) i don't know what she likes (laughs) and i like xander saying well i know she likes willow but she's already already got got one of those those, which is great (laughs) But it's like, and then, and I love Giles calling them on it. Yeah. You're in a magic shop. (laughs) You're in a magic shop. And you can't think what Tara would like. I believe you're both profoundly (laughs) stupid. Like, (laughs) there is, Tara is not in that scene, but it does, Mm -hmm. that scene does seem to confirm her fears that she's not that important to the group. She's kind of still an outsider. She's Mm -hmm. kind of an afterthought. Yeah. That they're not... You know, and and Giles calling out Buffy and Xander, mm-hmm. you know, really, I mean, it's subtle and it's yeah. funny. But yeah, you guys like, come on, not cool. You haven't paid attention enough mm-hmm. to make that connection. <laughs> right. You're in a magic shop. Give <laughs> me a break. So yeah,
0: yeah, I don't
1: know. I don't know. And that which brings me sort of nicely, I guess, to something that I struggle with mm-hmm. with this episode and I don't know, maybe this is just me. Um but this this struggle that Tara has of wanting to be part of wanting to be part of the group, mm-hmm. but then needing to be chosen by the group. She's not yeah. She, okay, backing up. <laughs> backing up. The episode is called Family, right? Mm-hmm. And by the end, we're we've pretty clearly established that your family is the people that mm-hmm. you choose to be your family. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tara doesn't really get to make that choice. This isn't this isn't a story about Tara going out and finding her people. I mean, mm-hmm. since, her first appearance, Tara has been chosen. She's Mm -hmm. not the one doing the choosing. Right. Mm -hmm. And that just, I don't know. It puts a bad taste in my mouth Mm -hmm. from a queer chosen family narrative specifically. Yeah. Because that's what we've been hinting at subtly and not so subtly all along Mm -hmm. with Tara and Willow. You know, the obviously obviously now they are much more textually involved Mm -hmm. although we how have they not kissed on screen yet i'm having a conniption it's driving me crazy i know i know we i know we're getting there i know we're getting there but we have in this episode we have anya and xander very physically affectionate. We have Buffy and Riley. Very physically affectionate. The episode is practically about yep. Tara and Willow. At least it's bookended. Yeah. Tara and Willow. And we they did haven't the, kissed on screen they yet. They haven't <sighs> kissed and it sucks. We did get a cuddle. Yeah, we get a cuddle, which is very, which that is scene sweet. with Them in bed is very sweet. Yeah,
0: but I it's know it's, sweet. but it's not the kind of thing that we normalize with heterosexual couples. I mean, look at the first kiss between Buffy and Angel, right? You know, I nobody, don't even
1: remember it. Some, <laughs> it was Angel. I which, really don't.
0: It was. In, <laughs> Okay, season season one, episode seven, Angel, where he was in her bedroom after they'd had a fight. He kisses her. He turns into a vamp, and then he flies out the window.
1: Right, right. See, it's like it's only it's only a giant turning point for that romantic narrative. And okay, baby, you have plenty of things to think
0: about. You do not need to remember every detail of Buffy. That's what I am here for. Okay, I don't even remember them
1: all. Also, if it's boys and girls kissing, I'm like, Psh, whatever. Right.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I mean, the thing is that we have absolutely no hesitation about showing a 16 year old girl making out with a 240 year old man. Right. I mean, that's not a taboo. Okay. Okay. Granted, some of that is unrealistic, blah, 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 whatever, because we're feeling (laughs) reality, fiction, we just did that little go around, yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera. You know what I'm saying. So, um, so all of that aside, but I'm just saying that like here we have two women and we cannot show them in romantic physical affection, but we have absolutely no problem showing it between our heterosexual couples uh, like all the time. Um, So yes, it is something that, uh, that needs a little work and we are going to get there but yeah, it would have been nice to have been able to have that the way that we, would, if this had been a heterosexual
1: couple, we would have had them kissing a long time ago. Well, and if this were, you know, again, 20 years ago, if this mm-hmm. were made now, right, the, they would have, yeah, yeah, a long time ago. And, and I think it bothers me specifically in this episode because A, there's opportunity, and B, yeah. there is this story about. Mm-hmm. It's not even. I mean, it's not even that thinly veiled at this point. That we're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, we're we're saying magic, but yes. we mean queerness. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the pro. You know, we're talking about Tara's lifestyle. You know, cousin mm-hmm. Beth says, you know, you're down Your to living whatever. You know, mm-hmm. we know exactly what we're actually talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. With this with this family dynamic. Yes. And then the story of chosen family. Except as I say, I feel like it's undermined a little bit because this is the family that chooses Tara, mm-hmm. rather than having this be a story about her her making. Finding that choice. her own right. people. Mm-hmm. Like she's still the whole the whole thing with your chosen family is that they accept you. Right. And Buffy and Co. are still kind of on the fence about that. Not mm-hmm. that they don't accept her. You know, she's nice. Yeah. They just don't really notice her or know what to do with her. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's great. I love it. I love the scene at the end where they, you know, all stand up together mm-hmm. and are like, yeah, you're going through all of us. Mm-hmm. If you think you're going to take Tara away from us. But it's still, she's so passive. And yeah. she really she really is passive, I think, more often than not, well, for she's, as long as she's on the show. She's our damsel. Uh, n- not as long as she's on the show. Not unlike
0: Anya. Tara gets a lot better when she breaks up with Willow. Um, once, I, I think the problem with Anya and, and a similar problem with Tara, although not quite as bad because Willow doesn't treat Tara terribly the way that Xander treats Anya. Um, But there is something that they are extensions of their romantic partner until they're not. And then suddenly they can be their own character. Um, And they kind of come out of that. Tara is the damsel. I mean, she is the yeah. the one that we, you know, throw in the way of the demons. She's the one who's about to get, you know, whammied by glory. Like, you know, we... That's what Tara's role predominantly is, despite the fact that we see her exhibiting a great deal of competence, um, and and we allow her to to use it. I mean, she did a spell with Giles early on, you know, um, and ran the spell and, like, saved the day. Um, yeah. She's the one who saw that Buffy wasn't Buffy, and who are you, you know? Yep. She's the one who has the ability to to see and to do, and she has all this knowledge um and yet we tend to just make her the the damsel the the incredibly vulnerable one that we all have to like take care of and and save and protect um and so I find that a a poor use of Tara that just because she is sweet and kind and emotionally connected doesn't mean that she is weak you know um, but that's kind of how she is uh she is presented you know in the show.
1: This is why we need more lesbian witches writing our lesbian witch characters. You
0: know, we really, really do. I mean,
1: really do. Speaking of witch, lesbian
0: witch, what are you wearing? <laughs> Sorry, are you out as a witch? Am I out as a witch? <laughs> I know you're out as a lesbian. You talk about it all the time, but I'm like, oh, has she been out as a witch? I don't know. I, love I can it. change that. I can change no, that. No, I
1: love it. Okay. I love it so much. That's hilarious. <laughs> you're so funny. I, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Mm-hmm. But everyone looks very dressed up at the bronze at the end. Yes. Like for the party. Real dressed up. Mm-hmm. And they look great and mm-hmm. it looks beautiful and I don't know what to make of it. hmm I don't know. Because right, it's know. a twenty year old's I mean, love...
0: birthday party, right?
1: Well, and at the bronze specifically, mm-hmm. and like yeah. Giles is there in like a full suit and tie and mm-hmm. it's a little it's a and touch wedding. Yes, it is very
0: wedding Uh it's Dawn a t- has got these curls in, right? Oh, my
1: goodness. Dawn just looks so cute. I know. And her little remark about up, yeah. Only, yeah. Losers only losers drink alcohol. losers drink alcohol. Like, oh, baby. Aww. Sweet baby, Dawn. really cute. Um, but I don't No, I mean, obviously, it's meaningful. Mm-hmm. It's deeply meaningful. I don't know what it means. Like right. I don't know what to say about it. It does.
0: It does feel like a wedding, though. You're right. I hadn't really picked up on that, but it has. It has that very special occasion wedding feel, and it's a twenty year old's birthday party. Which you know, my birthday party when I was twenty was jeans and a t shirt. You know, like I mean, I don't know. It, it does feel a little bit, a little bit odd. Yeah.
1: But it feels. It also feels really good. Like mm-hmm. there's something really great about it, and of course we get that lovely. Interaction between Tara and Willow at Mm -hmm. the end. Mm -hmm. But I just don't, I don't quite know. Maybe it is to put some ceremony on this. Tara is part of the group. It's Mm -hmm. like a, it is sort of, it is sort of a marriage in that she is now part of this Scooby family. Mm -hmm. Officially, officially. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what to make of it. I just, I it felt very meaningful. Yeah, and kind of odd. But you, mm-hmm. I mean, you know me. I love to see everybody dressed up. Like yeah. it's my favorite. It's, it's my favorite favorite it's on the true. show. Yeah, of all time. I don't know. <laughs> and I talked about Glory's amazing closet already, and how she is theatrical. So anything she does, yeah, is very has this very like backstage kind it of. It does have a very backstage feel. Deal. Yeah, no, I like that. All right, so what's your girl power moment of the week? Oh, not with a girl pal, babe. We haven't, we didn't talk much about Willow in this mm-hmm. episode. No. Um, mm-hmm. And everything that she's going through with this strange appearance of mm-hmm. her girlfriend's family. But at the end, when Willow is trying to, you know, really zoom in on Tara and, you know, asking her what she wants. Mm-hmm. And... Tara's father says, It's not up to you, young lady. And Willow just turns and snaps at him. I know that. Mm -hmm. And turns back to Tara. And I'm just, huh, (laughs) huh. Like, (laughs) I'm not scared of you, you patriarchal dickhead. But just, you know, like, there's something so empowered in that moment Mm -hmm. of. This is none like this is none of your fucking business, dude. Mm-hmm. This is about what Tara wants and Willow standing up for both herself and yeah. her partner. Mm-hmm. In that way, just like I mean, it gets me right in the feels. Yeah. Um, and also, just you want Tara, you got to go through Dawn. a right. minute, little <laughs> Dawn is gonna stand there like yeah. Wonder Woman, yeah. and I'm just. But I believe it, too. Yeah. I believe that, that Dawn would punch out, you know, oh, all yeah. three of them. Oh, if absolutely. Given the opportunity. Absolutely. She's absolutely. badass. Do not she mess is. with Dawn. She is. And that's,
0: uh, you know, now that we've got this nice transition into the favorite part. I mean, that's my favorite part. You got to go through me. She's a hair puller. <laughs> <laughs> I love that whole thing I love that whole moment I mean it's nice when Buffy turns around and says you gotta go th- you wanna take her against her will you gotta go through me and then I mm-hmm. love the fact that out of everybody there Dawn is the next one to stand up and Dawn looks like she is about to throw the fuck down like I would not want to be on the business end of Dawn at that point you know right Um. so yeah, yeah I-, I love I love that moment what's your favorite part
1: okay it's it's not my favorite part for delight. Yes, mm-hmm. but Tara addressing her father as Sir mm-hmm. is my favorite part. Yeah, um, not because I enjoy it, but mm-hmm. because it is so stinking efficient in telling us what we need to know about oh, yeah. this father-daughter relationship, mm-hmm. about this dynamic. Yeah, it it gives me chills mm-hmm. with its narrative efficiency.
0: Yes, it is. It and is the way powerful. she says
1: mm-hmm. it with that mm-hmm. little, you know, there's fear behind it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's I'm calling this person. I'm calling him, sir, not because I respect mm-hmm. him. Right. But because I am afraid of what will happen to me if I don't. Right. Right. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. those. It's those not fun favorite parts.
0: It is, but it's. Got but you're you right, though. I mean, it's incredibly efficient, incredibly powerful writing, and what you can do with just one word, um, mm-hmm. you know, is is. It's a great lesson for writers that, that you can do a lot with just one word.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking delight, because I mean, we are chipperish media right. here. <laughs> I gotta give it to Giles with mm-hmm. you're in a magic shop and you can't think what Tara would like. <laughs> I believe you're both profoundly stupid. It's very cute. It's very cute. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on social media. Lonnie is at Lonnie Rich on Twitter and I am at Noelle Aloud on Instagram. And the hashtag is still pretty. This episode of still pretty was brought to you by the chipperish media producers who support us on Patreon at the power
0: producer level. These people are the reason why still pretty is coming to you free and ad free right now. So thank you to our April producers, Sarah, Shelley, Kristen, Alice, Erica, Abigail, and Jonathan. And this week's special message for our power producers. You have the
1: cutest little separating sores. Has anyone ever told you that? (laughs) Shockingly, No. (laughs) To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or have a place in the world now because you're a working gal. <laughs> we will be back next time with Fool
0: for Love, the seventh episode of season five, and oh my god, I can't wait. <laughs> 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 I'm, I I may be, I may be you know, showing my hand a little bit on that But anyway, until then No, see, because your insect reflection represents your insignificance in the karmic cycle
1: He's still not funny